0: to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with the Kashrus issues for the kosher consumer over at jrootradio.com, or you can reach us at 718-506-9099. And today I have a very special guest, somebody I just introduced to. His name is Rabbi Akiva Niehaus, and he works for the rabbinic is a rabbinical coordinator for the... CRC, the Chicago Rabbinical Council. I mixed up my uh, schedules, and uh, Rabbi uh, Fishbein was supposed to be with us, I thought, today. he's really going to be next week. I hope he's still <laughs> he'll still talk to me after today. We had a little confusion in the timing. It was my fault. And uh, Bar- Baruch Hashem, uh, he was able to arrange for Akiva, uh, Newhouse, to, uh, to be with us. And Rabbi Niehaus has some very interesting work that he does for the Chicago Rabbinical Council. Are you there, Rabbi Niehaus? Yes, thank you for having me. My, it's our pleasure, really, because I think we're going to learn a lot more from you <laughs> than you're going to get out of us, although I think you'll enjoy the experience because our people are very special people. They uh, are very interested in our topic of Kashrus, and they follow the show very regularly. And so I think they're going to enjoy speaking with you. So let me just, before we get started with this the topic, understand a little bit about uh, uh, what, uh, how you got into Kashrus. We were talking before, and I had a little of your background, and you, you learned the different yeshivas in Long Beach, and Mir, in Mir, you were in, in, near out in, in Israel, and then the Koleil over there in Chicago. Uh, how did you uh, get into Kashrus?
1: That's a very good question. Um, actually, I was learning in Kerala for many years. And I uh, was looking ahead, trying to decide what to go into, how to help our, help our so And after thinking about it, we decided that Karshis really suits my needs. You know, I was very into halacha when I was in Cairo, and I was always uh, into technology. I was into how things work and understanding the background behind it. And after speaking with different people, we came out that Karshis is really a tremendous industry. <clears throat> and um, and it's really what suits my needs. And Baruch Hashem has been fantastic working here in Chicago in the Chicago Medical Council. And it's, it's the best part of the job is that I always have the opportunity to meet new people and, and expand my horizons and, um, really get, get opportunity to, um, to help out Cario Show in, in furthering this, this very important industry of, uh, food trash.
0: Uh, before we get really to the area of specialization, I'm very interested in talking with you because uh, Rabbi Niehaus has been with the CRC for a very short period of time, about about a year and a half, I believe, and that's yeah. the, and so uh, you're really new, and 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 a lot of things uh, are different for you than from people who are we say tzavaks and that have been around for a long time, and I'd like to know what do you feel uh, have have you particularly uh, uh, been impressed by in uh, joining the cautious world
1: well there's a lot of things I' have been impressed about um, one of the things are is that the the, the 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 aim the striving for truth and to get to really the bottom of things and to really understand it and, and not just to brush things off like you know no problem or just to be mockler for no reason we really all about our work is trying to get to the to the bottom of it and here in particular in Chicago, we're doing tremendous research in all areas. You know, for example, um, you know, we've, we've been doing research into, into bug checks and things that the establishment always assumed were problematic, we decided, you know, let's do our own research. And we've actually done, you know, just for, for weeks on end, just doing standard research. And you say, you know, just because it's always been assumed to be a problem, you know, let's collect data on that and see if it's really a problem. And other things which people have thought is not a problem, we did our own data and our own research to see maybe it is a problem. So that's the first thing that I've been impressed about is the Bika and That is that Akashis is such an important deal that, you know, if we can get to the bottom of things and really investigate it, then, um, you know, it's, 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 it's really an eye-opener to see how people have embraced that and always looking for, for more opportunities to get to the bottom of
0: things. I think that's beautiful. I want to ask you, uh, because it's one, something that's very interesting to me, uh, this whole topic about the insects, although we're not going to go into it now. I don't have to go into any details. I just have a simple question. You you mentioned that the research being done by the CRC into some of these uh, 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 situations where uh, vegetables or fruits uh, have been impacted, and the question is whether they're infested or not how how can you possibly do a sampling there's just so many the world that we live in today first of all if you make a statement crc states a statement is that just locally for chicago or for the rest of the country and then and then the, forget the rest of the world it's like the rest of the country and we have foods foods that are coming to us from all the different countries of the world. So if you make a statement about uh, carrots, for example, I don't think people know, but in our neck of the woods where we're living now in Brooklyn, I don't know what's going on over in your your area, but uh, I've seen already uh, some very interesting products coming from Israel that many people don't know. If you see those large, big, fat carrots, a lot of people don't know that uh, one of the main places that they get them from is Israel, and they don't always put that on the stands. But if you b- the big fat carrots that are not uh, packaged at all uh, very often come from Israel. And uh, they're, they're importing now. Um, I've seen a, a nice number of cucumbers that have a different look to them. And they are Israeli cucumbers. So, I, I you know, it, it, we're getting from the whole world. So when you do an investigation, I mean, it would take... I would think, uh, uh, you know, uh, the 24-hour day for, for for all year long to be able to keep up with it.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, what we try to do is, uh, when we do our research, we actually try to go to different stores, and we look at the country of origin, and we take note of that in our research. You know, like, we were doing research for a long time on Brussels sprouts and asparagus, and we took note of it. Is it from Mexico? Is it from California? And we collect this data over time. So we try to get a sampling from all over the world. You know, we're such a global market these days that you really have no—you you really can find products from anywhere. So, as part of that research, we definitely try to expand our horizons as much as possible. to try to get a sampling from as many different locations as possible.
0: And we we just like to know whatever the conclusions you've come to, or that they're going to soon come to. Where would people see that information that the CRC? uh the, the result of their investigation.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. We actually at the CRC, one of the things I've I've been working on and I'm very excited to is is our approach to technology. And we we at the CRC, besides for our website, we also have an amazing app which people can download which has complete vegetable checking list and we go through vegetable by vegetable. But we also have a new website called askcrc.org which is a fantastic tool to the kosher consumer where they go to a very simple website, which is optimized for mobile phones, and they can just type in any product, get our latest data. So it's a fantastic website. And I strongly encourage anyone who has any questions about anything in particular, they can just check out askcrc.org and just type in anything you want. You can just type in a vegetable. You can type in a band of Slurpees and you'll get the latest data that we have.
0: Very, very nice. Very nice. It's a wonderful uh, w- website. and for wonderful information. One of the things that I tell everybody about the CRC and the, uh, 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 somebody else that t- may also be considered a competitor, to the Star K, is that these are at, uh, at the very beginnings and they still conduct themselves as a community organization. Whereas if you would contact some of the other organizations they would not want to comment on anything that wasn't specifically their own company and their own responsibility the uh... the the work of the crc and the work of the star k is well known that the information is available to everybody on the on, on what the findings have been of course the different levels of inv- in, 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 of uh, information uh, some information is only shared with people who are in the industry but the, but there's a vast amount of material that's available for people on the CRC website and uh, now you know the uh, uh, CRC web org is a good tool to use well, actually it's askcrc.org. dot org I'm sorry there you CRC yeah. org is where you'd find the, the regular information. Uh, right. l- let, me, let me ask you this, uh, this is really what we, we were supposed to be talking about, even though we weren't, supposed to, we weren't scheduled to talk today, uh, but Rabbi Deberg, you, you, your areas of specialization are really two different things which are very, very interesting, and I think that our listeners are going to enjoy it especially. What are the areas of specialization that you're working on right now?
1: So my, my primary industry which I focus on is the trucking industry. And sort of a side angle is the liquor industry.
0: So, in in, in terms of, uh, we'll start with the liquor because that's something where they say Chol nefesh. Almost everybody takes a little schnapps. Uh, or whatever it is, a beer, or whatever it is occasionally. And as far as the trucking, most of us uh, don't get in the trucks, although we should learn about the whole trucking industry because it affects every single kosher consumer, and we're going to get to that a little later. But maybe give us a little bit of some of the highlights of some uh-huh. of the things that you've, been done, you've done recently or come aware of uh, or things that you feel we should know about the liquor industry. I know that you did some work on beer. Uh, But I'm I'm interested in the general area of liquor as well. So give us whatever you'd like to share.
1: Sure. Uh, We can start off with beer. I think beer is one of the most common alcoholic beverages you'll find in a kosher Jewish home. You know, after all, that's the most common drink you'll find by a shalom Zahar. And there's really been a lot of confusion about beer in general. You know, people uh, have really a lot of misinformation there's domestic beers, and then there's imported beers, there's the full-calorie beers, there's the light beers. What was that and one? Was it, that
0: one before the light beers? What was it?
1: The... The, you know, the full-calorie, the oh, regular standard okay. beer. Then there's the, the light beer, and then there's the flavored beers. There's the spiced beers, the fruit beers. So people don't really know which direction to go. So the CRC policy is basically, in short, is that um, unflavored beer is fine even without Ashkaha, Provided that it's from a large company, a large national or international company, but beer, which is from a smaller um, company, like for example a microbrewery or a craft brewery, those we say we need we need ashkacha. And if I could elaborate on that a bit, I'd like you to explain um, to the
0: people what a microbrewery is because I think most of our listeners do not really know that term and understand right. that, uh, how could they how they could spot the difference.
1: Yeah, okay, good question. Uh, so microbrewery, in by definition, means that it's a small brewery. Um, most of us are familiar with large, huge companies, you know, uh, whether Milwaukee or other places, that really corner the market and have the, the bulk share of the market. But then there's the small guys that have a, a small brewery. They can even have it in their backyard. They can have it in a garage. They can have it in a small industrial part of town, and they, you know, they provide tours. So microbreweries are on a much smaller scale, and due to their smaller scale, they really have the ability to do a lot of experimentation and try out new flavors, try out all sorts of things, which the large guys would never even think of trying. And we've discovered that a lot of these places are doing real, real tablets. For example, we've discovered that a lot of them make something called oyster stouts, which is kipchutai, that they take oysters, and they stick it in the brew kettle during the brew process, and they produce oyster beer. Now, obviously, this oyster beer is straight. It's not kosher. You can't drink it. But the, the, what we like to alert our consumers to is that any company which produces a trace beer, you not only have to worry about the actual trace beer, but what about everything else which is produced on the very same equipment? You know, you can pick up a beer and it looks like it's a kosher beer. It's unflavored. But if it's produced on the very same lines as an oyster stout, so then... That very possibly your kosher beer now just became not kosher. Right. So this is something that we've we've been working on recently is trying to get out the word that that beer from smaller places, even if the actual beer is okay, but the equipment that it's produced on might actually compromise the kosher status.
0: Are my listeners right now? How can they identify Rabbi Nieberg? Uh, uh, how can a uh, Niehaus? I'm sorry. How can they how can they, prenu- how can they uh, be aware whether this particular beer is from a microbrewery. I mean they've been down to these places themselves. Most people have never been seen a brewery at all.
1: Right, that's a good question. Um well the, the simple answer is that you got to do a little bit of research. You know, this is one of the few remaining industries that don't have a struggle for all their products. You know, look around at all the under, at all the other industries, you know, whether it's the dairy industry, whether it's the meat industry, whether it's the flavor industry, the bread industry, the soda pop industry, all those require hashcotchal for everything they produce. Liquor industry is one of the last remaining many industries that don't actually require hashcotchal for all their products. So I say to this consumer, beware. You've got to do a little research to find out if the product you're drinking is, in fact, kosher. So if the product has a that's definitely the preferable way to go. Anything which is a large, well-known national company. And that means, simply, is look at their levels of distribution. Do they distribute nationally? If a company distributes nationally, meaning they, they reach basically all corners of the market from corner to corner, so that's a good sign that they, the products are, are, are basically nonsensitive, again, for unflavored beer. Any company, which, you know, you, you can ask the guy behind the counter, is this a local produced product? You know, you have, to get a little, you have to do a little research and figure it out. And then you can get a better feeling, is this only available locally? or is it available across the country? You know, that's, that's probably the easiest way to start, to try to figure out, are they a microbrewery or a craft brewery, meaning those companies which do fermentation and do specialty stuff, or are they a large company? But, but really, we've been doing our own research to try to help out the kosher consumer, and as, as really as a service to the community, we've gone through various beers, and we put them on our, on our, our liquor list, which is available on our website, and we, our liquor list we expanded recently, yeah, figured out. Last check was eighteen, nineteen pages, and <laughs> we have hundreds and hundreds of products of wow. beers in particular that we can advise the kosher consumer what to look for and what to beware of. Uh-huh. Um, you know, any company which produces an oyster stout, we're going to say to stay away from. You know, but there are some some craft breweries which may be big enough that they could be considered a national brewery, and we'll we'll enlighten that as well. So you know, it, it's really it, it's really it's important for the consumer. Before they, before they purchase a beer or they go to Shalm and they see an interesting beer, you really got to know what you're looking at. And You mentioned you know, this the,
0: before about the, the foreign beers. Is there a difference? Uh, how would you express a difference between the domestic and the foreign? Is it just this issue with the microbrewery or is it something else?
1: No, I, our research has shown that there's really no difference from a cautious perspective from whether it's a domestic beer or an imported beer. It's very, very similar, and the only concern would be, A, is if it's flavored, and B, even if it's unflavored, are they a microbrewery or a craft brewery that they might be producing trace on the very same equipment. Okay.
0: Now, now uh, this is a question that uh, has uh, been interesting to me for many years. And I'm going to first, I, I, I'm going to, maybe I'll, ta- I'll preface it with a little history. Back in 1980 or, or so, I read an article And that's when I uh, started my whole Kashrus magazine, but then it was called Kashrus Newsletter. And just at that time, I read an article in a a publication called Zymurgy, Z-Y-M-U-R-G-Y, which means beer making. And this uh, publication listed a whole slew of ingredients uh, that were, that are used in different beers. And some of them were, were, were really trafe. And I'm talking about in 1980, I'm not talking about now, what's been discovered the last few years about the microbreweries. And whatever people did, and that made a, I made a whole to-do about it at that time, and people um, investigated. I, I don't want to go into the details, but one person um, started sending letters all across the country on his rabbinic stationery. Asking whether the the Jewish people are very interested <laughs> in the information, and he was asking whether there was a, whether there was anything of animal origin used in the making of the beer, and all, he, all of them answered him no. <laughs> but I told them that, that 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 that's because you wrote on that letterhead. Better yet, you should have a, a doctor's letterhead. Investigating for uh, allergy purposes, you might have got a completely <laughs> different answer. But they were basing Good. it on Moshe's tshuva. Moshe Feinstein Zatzal said you could rely on a the, uh, the letter from a uh, Jewish, uh, not from a non-Jewish company. and The letter uh, is a statement they can't back out on. And. And then that 's what he was doing, and people were putting out this list that oh, everything is domestic is fine so i said if if everything domestic is fine, what is this enzymergy, all these things that go into beers, and that must be in the foreign beers and Then we spoke to the people in the foreign companies they said. You know, these countries, we're not allowed to put anything in but uh, the hops and, <laughs> you know, what we're not allowed to do anything. It's straight. It's governmentally controlled. And so I, I'm going back to the Simon G. article and how where, is, where all this is. So there was a gentleman, uh, he passed away many years ago. He used to s- sell Koshra's newsletter for me in Chicago, of all places. Uh, and <laughs> he, uh, he was close to the beer industry because he distributed beers as well. I'd, he, he, the people in the beer industry told him, Mr. Ashkenazi, don't, <coughs> this is not for, for you. Don't drink this. Meaning, Because you're kosher, don't drink this one. And that was before yeah. beers had Ashkenazi. And they were telling him this, that they knew there were certain ingredients and certain processes that were being done that made it not kosher. That's what they were telling him. And the question that comes up right now, forget about my stories, they're all in the background. The question is, you have a company. I'll take an example. Somebody is a competitor, but it's a good example. Coors, because I don't think you, I don't think CURC gives hashgachah on beers as far as I know. Maybe you do, but they but let's say Coors. So Coors makes a lot of different beers, and one or two of them are OU certified. And why is the company not willing or able to get the OU for all the other products they make?
1: I, I can really can't answer that question. You really would have to speak to you no, about no, I'm, that. No, I'm not, but
0: I'm not specifically interested in cores. I'm saying, is it true that beers, even though you're saying all domestic beers are the, the, and the foreign beers, if they're only making beer and nothing else in the, in the equipment, is it really true that the ingredients and that go into and the, and, the, and the agents that they use in, in the beer-making process are no issue of kosher? I'm not talking about icing glass now. I'm not going in there. I'm going in just right. ingredients that are added or there are the processing agents that are used that end up in the final product. You're saying that none of them are not kosher?
1: Well, from our research, we found that you know beer has four primary ingredients, which is water, barley, hops, and yeast. Those four primary ingredients are, are non-sensitive uh, ingredients. Um, besides for those four <clears throat> they may use um, a clarifying agent, such as a glass, which, you know, that's been discussed uh, from the Times in I've used it even, so that's a, that's an old child. Um, other than that, <clears throat> there are some regular standard enzymes which may be used, but our research has shown that, generally speaking, it's not much of a concern. However, on that note, we have found that some beers are actually being produced um, as dairy. A lot of um, Milk Scouts, for example they can use lactose as part of the ingredients, which would then create a serious cashless issue. And even if the, the lactose is kosher, but then it would make it a dairy beer, you know? So, uh, and they don't even have to write down on the label that they use lactose in the production. They don't so, have to write in the label? Uh, Amazing. Nope, they don't have to write. Yeah, and, and, you know, I really found that to be very interesting. Um, the beer industry is not governed by the same governmental agency as, as regular food and therefore. There is no mandatory labeling requirements for allergens. And even though your regular food has to say if there's an allergen such as dairy products, but there is no mandatory requirement for beer. And therefore you would never know if the beer you're drinking used lactose or or if the equipment, or if the beer the beer drinking was produced on the very same line as a lactose beer. You know, we were actually asked to certify a company um, that produced beer, and we were we were pretty surprised to see that a number of them used lactose, and they, they they made dairy beer. So you know everything they produce now is produced on dairy equipment, or you know it's dairy. You know you, you don't want, you might you might want to think twice before you drink that at your and Zakar. So uh, you know that was a real eye opener. And so you're mentioning questionable ingredients. There There's definitely a lot of sensitive well, ingredients. How would but...
0: anybody know that? According to your original uh, suggestion. Uh, leave out your list on the CRC website, but uh, the, the original suggestion that if it's a domesticated farm <clears throat> beer that doesn't have any uh, uh, the, the flavors and it's etc. Um, and, and 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 you know that it's, uh, it's not a microbrewery, you weren't ha- you didn't have a concern. How would somebody know that they're making milk stouts or whatever it is on the same equipment?
1: So, so the answer in short would be is that a large company um, deals with such volume. And, you know, they have such a large um, a production run that even if they do produce a, um, a dairy product on the very same line, we can safely assume that any, any bleus, any, any dairy um, particles from that run would be gone during the, the non-dairy run. So we, we can safely assume that. But in the smaller operations, though, that, that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, that's just another reason to stay away from the small guys besides the fact that they may be using trace ingredients, but they might be using dairy ingredients as well. So it's another, another point of concern.
0: Rabbi, I'm going to just take a moment. And we're going to come right back to you. Uh, I'm, my guest today is uh, Rabbi uh, Akiva Niehaus, Niehaus from uh, the CRC, Chicago Rabbinical Council. And he's, uh, the topic that we've been talking about until now has been about beers, We're going to, I mean, we come back after this, uh, moment of the, for about Glotmart. We are going to, uh, take your calls and also we're going to discuss further with him some of the uh, other topics, which will be about trucking and some other issues about liquor. And, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But before that, I just mentioned to you about Glotmart. It's a good time to go try out Glotmart if you haven't been there before. Glotmart is at 1205 Avenue M and, uh, they they have specials that are going on this week from May 28th, starting May 28th to June 3rd. Some of them include Glick's Graham Pie Crust at 99 cents. And now in the dairy area, Mahajan Sour Cream, one pound, $3.69. That's not a half a pound, that's a whole pound. Mahajan Farmer Cheese, a whole pound, $5.49. Norman's Yogurt Poppers, 99 cents. And in the Flasheke area, for your uh, jumbo preparation corned beef deckel 7.99 a pound boneless flankin 11.99 a pound and beef spare ribs 11.99 a pound these are just some of the specials at glattmart there are over 50 products every week on sale at glattmart and glattmart is uh, located at 1205 avenue m you could save a lot of time by parking in their uh, with their valet parking come in the East 12th Street entrance and leave your car. You'll be able to have it filled, ready for you when you're coming out to fill it up with all the items you purchase in the store. And at Glatmart, you're getting quality kashras with a sh- with certification of the Star K and the Vada ha- kashras of Flatbush, uh, Expert Nikor and, uh, and they have only uh, base Yosef Meats. At Glatmart, you have a uh, very high standard and of quality kashras. And... At Glatmart, uh, you, you have people there who take the, the issue of Kashvas very seriously. They've been serving our area for 35 years. Glotmart is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glatmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart on Kashvas on the air over J-Route. And now we're going to get back to uh, our guest, Although, well before we do that, we have a caller come. We've been waiting here a long time. No, no, no caller? Okay. Yes or no? Okay, we'll take the caller. Go, go ahead. You're uncautious on the air. Can we help you?
1: Yeah. If you're like, buy a rest stop and there's soda or coffee, is it kosher, the soda or coffee?
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of stuff that has to be discussed. We've been talked about here before. Uh, do you want to take it? No, go ahead. Nias, do you want to take it? You can answer very Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, to answer your questions, first of all, sodas at a soda fountain, or where they have sometimes in, the, in these machines, you put in some money, and they have a little cup come down, and it mixes together with the uh, with the, uh, the the seltzer and the, and the syrup mixed together. There are people who are using other companies other than what it says there. So even if it says Coke or Pepsi or whatever it is, you might get a cola, but you're not necessarily getting them. And you can get something that's not kosher. So it's not uh, a, any guarantee in those machines unless it's like a bottle thing or can. And, of course, you know what it is because it's been processed I and mean, prepared before it was prepackaged. But the soda fountains, no, you really don't have a guarantee. Have we lost the person there? No, we lost, I, lost, uh, I lost the Hakee. I lost the Hakee new Okay, we lost uh, Rabbi Nehaus. Want to call? You there, Rabbi Nehaus? No, we lost him. Okay. So I'm going to answer this young man's question, and we'll try to reach uh, Rabbi Nehaus again. Okay, is that him? Hello? Okay. Uh, the, the other part of the question that he was asking was... Um, about the coffees. Uh, the coffees are like this. the are only a, a, a small place. This is the new position of the cashless agencies, that a full service restaurant, the coffees should not be used because they wash the utensils together with the non-kosher in a way that it could make the utensils not kosher. And therefore, you should not be using it. In a small stop. Restaurant, a small uh, service station stop where they just have a small kettle over there, um, a small thing that they're using. It may be done in a way that is acceptable. I can't tell you visually now. I would like to see it in front of me, but uh, in most of those situations, even if they uh, they're selling non-kosher food there, they tend to wash them individually under the sink, and there's no reason to assume that they they got your utensil, trafe, which is not so in the case of where you have a full-scale restaurant. That's what the cashless industry says today. Are you on the air again, Rabbi Niaz? Yes. Okay, good. Thank, thank you. I'm glad we got back to you. So we were discussing about uh, the, uh, the liquor industry. What other areas are you working on in the liquor industry?
1: Well, the other area which I've been working on for uh, many years now is the scotch industry, which... Um, at phase face value seems to be very clear-cut and, and not problematic from a kosher view because by law, by Scottish law, they can only use the very simple, non-sensitive ingredients to produce scotch, and it's highly regulated. So on the one hand, scotch seems to be very little of a cautious problem um, when you look at the ingredients and the equipment. There's very, very minimal concern. However, <clears throat> the area of concern which we've been looking at is the fact that they take the finished um, product and they mature it in barrels which previously held non-kosher wine. And the most famous of them is called sherry wine, sherry, that's S-H, sherry wine, (coughs) which is not kosher generally. And they take the barrels which previously held sherry wine and they take these sherry casks and then they fill it up with scotch. And when you take this kosher scotch and you put it in this non-kosher barrel, it has a very serious, conscious consequence, which may may in effect make the coach the Scotch not kosher. Now, this is something so that we've been looking.
0: Now, I want to hear about it, but I want to ask you if you if you're familiar with this part of it. In Shulchan Aruch, it says that 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 uh, or yain saraf, whatever we have, our, our, let's say a liquor, it, that that yain is play game, and, and it, it wouldn't leave a positive taste. And that even if something did eventually get out and, and a small amount, it shouldn't render a trife.
1: But- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Aruch does say that. Um now it's good the, the, the you have to look into the Nice over there, the first Farshan explain that this cool is based on the concepts of Nasin Town Luskan, which means that the 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 flavor of the wine is ruined when when it comes to contact with the other beverage. Now the Aruch doesn't say clearly um that this refers to scotch. I mean obviously it didn't have that 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 name or identity then. But um, based on, on what we've seen, the the scotch when scotch is used in, in, in wine barrels, there's definitely an enhancement of the flavor. They the sherry cask costs ten times the cost of the other barrels and they specifically market this and they, they specifically go and use these wine barrels and they advertise that there's a tremendous benefit for the flavor profile as well. So, um, in, in all in all likelihood, the the Kula of the Shacharas doesn't refer to this case, and um, it would it would be potentially be a serious issue for any scotch which is short in sherry casks or, or other wine casks.
0: Would you know? Uh, thank you. Would you know uh, the kinds of casks that they're using? how long has it been since the sherry was in there used to be they used to dry out the sh- casks for a while and that that and then therefore the the chance of something being there wasn't so significant the fact that it affects the, the the liquor there's no question it affects the liquor but I don't usually they don't say the word the flavor it usually says that it it gives a bouquet, it helps it in some way, Gives a, uh, 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 and it helps in this, this, the smell and, the, and this. And, and They use a lot of words that talk around about it. But my Rebbe Zatzal, or Vasha Zim and said that they never said in those days that there was a change in the flavor. You said it helps the flavor profile. The question is, is it really put in it there in order to impart a flavor, or, does it, or is it just a mystique, and, and uh, even if it's true, and even if there is some kind of a change, are we supposed to assume that this is always so, uh, or is it uh, sometimes these are aged, I'm sorry, dried, <coughs> and then they dried enough that not, no significant amount of uh, sherry will, uh, will leach.
1: Okay, so I, I think you mentioned three points, and I'll, I'll go back over them. Um, the first question you had was, perhaps the barrels are aged. Now, I assume referring to the law from Chocolat, which says that if a wine barrel is, is, um, sits dormant for 12 months, then we can assume that any wine in there is gone. Um, so our research has shown that barrels never sit for 12 months empty. And, in fact, before they send over these sherry casks from Spain they actually make sure to leave some wine in there so that they don't dry out on the road. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a cooperage where they produce barrels, but one of the primary um, causes for barrels to fail is when they dry out. When they dry out, mm. there's huge cracks between the staves. Mm. They have to keep them moist in order that they should be waterproof. Mm. So and not only do they not dry out, but they actually put some wine in there for the road you know, um, so that it stays moist the whole way through. So, And they're very expensive. So they definitely don't want them sitting around. So there's very little chance that it's had for 12 months um, when it was unused. Um, referring to your second point, which was um, the taste profile, um, if you read reviews from the scotch experts, um, these people have tremendous training, minimum two years training. Very often it's much more. It's much, it's much training that goes into the taste testing for scotches. And there's five areas which they look at. One of them is the nose, which simply means the smell, the aroma. And the other thing is the palate, and the palate is the flavor. And they they, they rate both of those, both the nose and the palate. And if you look at some of these, um, um, some of these which were matured in sherry casks, they very clearly, very clearly acknowledge the the effect of the wine barrels. On the final product, and it's not only the nose, but it's even the palate. So this clearly tells us that um, it was not only not only this, the aroma, but it's even the flavor. So I'm not sure what happened years ago, but now it's definitely the case where the the experts acknowledge that there's both an effect on the flavor, effect on the on the aroma. Um, As your third point, how would one one know if um, it it has such barrels? So our research has shown that by and large. Companies which use sherry casks or other wine casks make a point of advertising that, whether it's on the label, whether it's on their website. They make a point out of it simply because it's a marketing feature that they can advertise. Look, we use sherry casks. It's very expensive. Purchase our stuff because it has this unique thing. So you can simply pick up a bottle of scotch and check the label to see whether or not old scotch such casks are used. I think just so, tell, our, know, tell our listeners
0: exactly how they could see this way. The words, the, the buzzwords that will be on the, on the packaging. So it says finished. Give, give them a little few buzzwords that uh, yeah, they sure. understand.
1: Yeah, so when you pick up a bottle of scotch, you're going to be looking for the following. You're going to look um, if it says sherry cask, sherry is a kind of wine, but it could be port cask, it could be Chardonnay. So you're going to look for a type of wine. Um, you're gonna look for the word finishing. Finishing means this is a really a, a relatively modern invention that they take stocks and they extra mature it. Re- it's ready to ready to be bottled, but they extra extra mature it into um, wine casks. So you're gonna look for the word finishing, or you're gonna look for the word extra matured. These are all indicators that it was in all likelihood um, had some contact with sherry casks. So the CRC position is that. That scotch in general is recommended, is acceptable without after, um, provided that those code words, which we mentioned, don't appear on the label. It doesn't say sherry cask, it doesn't say finished or extra matured, double matured, triple matured, all these words, which would indicate that it came had some contact with with a non-kosher wine barrel.
0: I'm going to take the caller or two that are coming in now, but I'm but i I'm going to give out the number also. But we must have a minute or two, even if we don't do anything else, to discuss the issue of Hametz She'Ava or Lava Pesach. But we'll do that in a little while. Uh, I'm going to take the caller, but anyone who would like to reach us, uh, to speak to myself or to uh, Rabbi Akiva Niehaus from the CRC, who is the person working with uh, uh, liquor and uh, beer, and uh, other alcoholic beverages, as well as the trucking industry for the CRC, the Chicago Rabbinical Council. You can reach us at the studio number, 718-683-5858. Nisim, our first call. Go ahead. Hello, Yeran Kashvers on the air. Can we help you? Hello? Go ahead. You're on the radio.
1: I'd like to know if, if there's like a plank K on a cereal box, like <laughs> on a can of Pepsi. Is that a Harsher?
0: Absolutely. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. And particularly in Pepsi, it would be. Uh, It usually means that it's the regular, if it's a regular Pepsi uh, company itself giving it, it would be uh, for Rabbi Chalap. uh, But a K does not necessarily mean there is a Hashgacha. It means the company claims it's kosher. However, that's what Pepsi uses for, they just use a plain K. But Rabbi oh. Kalap is the one in charge of the syrup. Uh, the bottling plants are all over the country and all over the world. And usually the, they put on the packaging the hashkoch of the bottling, uh, that's on the bottling co- uh, company. So it might be that you could find a Pepsi with a... Uh, with a, uh, don't listen Rabbi Neos, that it, it, you might find it with a, uh, a, uh, a Kafka, you might find it with a, maybe an OU, you might find a lot of things on it, but uh, the, the basic hashkocha is Rabbi Chalap, and after that, the other hashkochas are giving on the bottling itself, okay?
1: Okay, and also, just one more question, the, the 711 on Avenue J, all the slurpees are kosher,
0: it, they are all kosher and uh, pr- at present as far as we know they're being certified by the KUF-K and there should be a signage to that, area, to that, to that but that's the only one in New York that I know of Okay, thank you very much for calling okay, us. thank you go ahead one more caller and then we no more callers one more caller. Well, you're, un- you're unconscious on the air can we help you oh we lost him okay so Rabbi Niehaus uh, let's go back to this question we have heard about Khovitz Shavala Pesach when it comes to the matter of uh, liquor. Can you give us a little bit of an idea? Is that only, uh, I mean, I mean, the big problem you had was uh, with bourbon? Which one was it?
1: Yeah, the primary problem was with the bourbon. bourbon. But um, as, there's a but, huge company.
0: Right, but as far as I am purchasing in a store liquor, do I have to worry that uh, the owner is really Jewish and not didn't sell his chametz?
1: Well, the first question would be, is the store that you're purchasing from, right. is that Jewish-owned? You know, that uh, should be very simple to, to find out. Um, <clears throat> and then, now, assuming that the store owner is Jewish, you have to find out if he sold his chametz. Um, the, the, the big problem would be is the distributors that the uh, liquor store purchased from, was that Jewish-owned? Did they sell their chametzs? So, you know, if if these matters are unknown, so there is definitely room to be lenient um, if one doesn't know if you're Jewish-owned or not. Um, But if you wait a couple months after Pesach, then in all likelihood, then you're fine in either case, since there is generally a high turnover.
0: But the turnover is slower in the liquor business, I assume, than in the grocery business.
1: Yeah, you're correct. It is slower. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to give a time for that. But after a certain amount of time goes by, then you could feel comfortable buying from anywhere.
0: Okay. So, but now in the bourbon, there is a special concern. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. The, so the problem with the bourbon industry is that um, there's one company located in Kentucky that uh, produces a large amount of the bourbon on the market. And this company is owned by Yid, who does not sell his hummus.
0: I thought and CRC we worked for the CRC arranged to sell it. I thought the CRC, I think Rabbi Fishbane told us that CRC did arrange to sell it after a couple of years. Well,
1: okay, so I, let, me, let me explain what that means. We did work with the company to sell their hummets, and uh, the company did agree to do a special run under the CRC of kosher bourbon where they sell their hummets. Uh. And it, it's going to be a great product, but unfortunately it's not going to be on the market for a number of years until <laughs> it matures <laughs> properly. So... When it's available, it's going to be fantastic CRC Kosher Bourbon. Um, but until that point, the company has not yet agreed to sell their entire helmet lots.
0: Why would why would the kid why would they care? I mean, it's the thing yeah. That, well, money
1: no, it doesn't, and it's 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 really a perplexing issue. And it's you know just for marketing purposes, you know, you would think that the company would agree to that, but uh, to date, they have not yet agreed to do wow. so.
0: And and what I think our readers our listeners have to hear is the number of different brand names that this one company actually owns. You know, yeah, I mean right? we do
1: have a full list uh, on our website, um it's which is actually put dozens. out by X
0: It's dozens and dozens of name brand names.
1: Yes, yeah, there's a lot of them, yeah. So it's just something to look out for. Yes,
0: yeah, so that's that's something people should definitely check up on your website. Well, we're going to ask people if they'd like to call in now. You have another 15 minutes, 718-683-5858. I would say to text us, but the machine doesn't seem to be turned on right now. So we'll do 718-683-5858 if you want to call us. Any cashless question or if you want to discuss our topics. Before anybody else, until, until somebody calls, let's discuss trucking. I uh, I love to hear a little bit about trucking. I mean, does, do all the hashkochas actually have somebody... Uh, you know, on top of the trucking industry, or or is that just some Ashkakas are concerned about it?
1: Well, it's a good question. Um, the CRC actually has the largest um, footprint in the in the in the trucking industry from a kosher perspective. Um, we have a dedicated um, department for that for the transportation all, all the transportation needs. But perhaps we can enlighten your your listeners what exactly. Is the trucking market from a kosher perspective? And when when I mention to people that I work in the trucking industry, you know the first thing that comes to mind is the truck drivers <laughs> or you know those huge eighteen wheel tractor yeah. trailers.
0: And the they like ask
1: me, what could possibly be not kosher about that? Uh... So I explain to them that, and and, that, and when you explain it to people, it, it's really an eye opener. So right. what we're talking about is not the eighteen wheeler tractor trailers. That finished products go into what we're referring to is really what may- many people call a tanker or a trailer. It's really, those long, huge bulk transporters of of oil, for example, or sugar that go directly into the trailer, into mm-hmm. the truck. What you know, the simplest muscle for that would be is um, when you see the local gas station refilling their gas. Mm-hmm. So it's a long, circular type of uh, con- of, of tra- trailer or tractor, and well, and they have a very similar thing in the, in the food industry when they transfer bulk products that they pour directly in there. So we, our job now is to make sure that that container, that huge trailer, is kosher. So the question is, well, what is that so to mean? How could it not be, not be kosher? And the answer is very simple. Besides for transporting oil or sugar, they also very often transfer glycerin. And it can be non-kosher glycerin, and if they transfer glycerin in that container, in that huge truck, tractor trailer, so that, in effect, becomes not kosher And then, when you subsequently transfer the very same thing, you transfer a kosher product, for, for example, sucrose or corn syrup, that could also become non-kosher just from being in there. So, our job is to make sure that the, the, the transferring of these bulk products remain kosher, and, and people people once you enlighten them they, they never thought of that and it's it's such a it's such an elementary idea that we, our job in a conscious industry is to make sure that the product the consumer is getting is kosher from beginning to end which involves the very point of manufacture until the final step when the consumer gets it and one of the crucial steps in the food grade shift is the transporting of both products and companies get you, you wouldn't believe how many companies are getting these products in bulk? And if they're not using a, a, a kosher uh, form of transport, then the final product could be seriously compromised. Uh, so uh, our job yeah. in the trucking industry is to monitor those, that part of the transportation of the kosher food.
0: Uh, but yes, I, I'm going to take our calls, and there's a few calls coming, but I want to ask uh-huh. you the last thing here at this point. Uh, how many trucking companies do we have that are kosher certified? I mean, sure, it's only a, st- a drop in the bucket, excuse the expression, but uh, but still, uh, d- how many would you say there are that are kosher certified across the country?
1: Oh, and there's, there's hundreds of them that are kosher certified, and uh, especially the large companies that work in the food grade, a lot of them are kosher, and it's it's our job to monitor that they stay kosher and remain and remain kosher, they don't compromise the kosher standards. So it's a, it's a very to, important part of the food grade. I want
0: to hear a little more, more about if we have any time, but we have to answer some of the callers. Go ahead. You're on kosher Sunday air. Can we help you?
1: Yeah. Uh, the bottom line, when I see a K on a product, is it reliable or not?
0: No. You, a K, no. a K could mean that it is the company itself claiming to you that it's kosher. I can be a goy. And I, can put a, and I can have a company I own, and I can put a K on it, and that's my claim that this is kosher, and I'm allowed to do that. And in, if it's not kosher, well, then, you know, maybe I could be sued. But right now, I can claim it's kosher. Nobody can say I can't use that K. K is not a registered trademark of anybody. The fact that, <laughs> the fact that they sometimes yeah. use it for an OU or for this Rabbi Chalap or somebody else, that's the company's choice because the company could put on their or the real symbol or they could put this on. It's up to you. Rabbi Chalap has a symbol. The OU has a symbol. And sometimes, uh, you know, almost anybody be put a, 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 could use the K. It makes it easier for them in some ways and that's their choice. Okay. it's not
1: reliable. Okay, okay. Uh, I want to ask you another thing. And then the one that Harlaff does certify, does he have a, only a K or he has another symbol also?
0: He has another symbol, but I only saw it in my book. I don't see it in the real world. He must be using it somewhere, but I don't see all the products. I, we do have a symbol uh. from him, yes, with a chess. But the truth of the matter is, uh, I think it's a chess, but it doesn't really matter. You're not going to see it very often, and I have yes. never seen it in the past.
1: Yeah, but there's a company that is a lot of... K. don't remember the name uh, of him. Uh, very famous company. Kellogg? Not, not Kellogg. Another okay. one.
0: I do uh, uh, Again, I, I can't answer you. You'd have to ask the company who is Ashkoka they have. They will tell you. Yeah. On every package, it says the name of the company that makes it. Sometimes it's not the name that you see on the package. It's somebody else that really makes it. And it tells you yeah. the city and the state that they're in. And if it doesn't give you the telephone number, it's very easy today to get the telephone number directly to that company and ask them which hushkocha they have. Okay, I thank would you. Say, I would say to follow up and ask them for a letter of certification as well. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, thank calling. you. Next thank call. You. Go ahead. You're on Kashmir. on the air. Can we help you? Hello?
1: Yeah, yeah. hi. Yes, yeah, ahead. hi. I had a question. Let's say one is, is a nightmare for, for Falavisro. Is he able to look at the allergen warnings and see if it contains milk?
0: That's not going to be enough. You want to go on to that, Rabbi Niehaus? You want to talk about it a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, allergen warning is not enough for the very simple reason that allergens are only affected by a protein of the product. So if there's a protein, milk protein, for example, then they would have to write the allergen warning. But if they remove the protein from a dairy product, then it's still dairy, but they wouldn't have to write an allergen warning. So therefore, if you look at a product and you, you look at the ingredients and you look at the allergen warning and there is no allergen warning, you cannot tell that perhaps there was a dairy um, ingredient in there and they just, and without the protein, and therefore they didn't need to write it. So that's, it's not a good way to tell whether it's dairy or not.
0: And we just had from Rabbi Nias gave us this information that, uh, th- that they can use this um, uh, milk product in making uh, beers, milk stout, on the same machinery where they're making the other beers. And a person who is Makpen and Chol of Israel from the Mi'ika uh, Hadin, like a Hasidisha person da is, those people are, uh, have to consider the equipment as Treif. And that product, the beer, is Treif. Not a question about it. It is treif according to them. So uh, it's uh, through Hanan, etc. I'm not going to go into the halachas here, but it would definitely b- uh, be a serious issue. You can't tell at all. I'll give you another example, which you might enjoy. The OU puts on their products sometimes OUD, and you read all the ingredients, you won't find any ingredient that says a dairy ingredient whatsoever. And people ask me all the time, does that mean it's really not dairy, or is it dairy? What's going on over here? So the OU says, call us every six months or three months and check it out. Because sometimes, even though it, says just, it just says OUD and it doesn't uh, list any ingredients that look dairy, there are ingredients inside that are dairy. Flavors can be dairy. Other things can be dairy. And you wouldn't know it. In addition to that, the equipment. And sometimes the equipment is not cleaned, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera. So you cannot tell this at all by reading the uh, ingredients.
1: Right. And do you know anything about uh Oreos or Nabisco the
0: products? You the OU. Yep, That's the oh they you're talking about an OU company, call the OU two one two five six three four thousand tomorrow morning. Okay, thank you for calling.
1: All right, thank
0: you. Okay. Uh Rabbi Nias, yeah. we're, I think we're back alone here. okay. Yes. yes. Okay. So <clears throat> can you maybe just give us an idea of what could go wrong in the trucking business? In other words, you now have a shkacha. And, and, and what does it mean? You go visit? You, you, wh- what, what happens? How do you know that everything is kosher? Like how could, maybe I would do a run on the back run from uh, dropping off something and I would do a back run and pick up something not kosher. And I might even, uh, I, I don't know what I do, clean it out a little before I come back to my regular stop. How would you know, especially if somebody uh, has his own equipment, how would you be able to monitor this, uh, th- th- this trucking?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we have a multi-pronged approach to monitoring the status of kosher-certified trucking companies. Um, that can include um, visiting the, the offices and going through logs. I mean, every company keeps logs and records of what they haul. We go through that meticulously, and we look for anything which, which might be out of the ordinary. We, um, we actually work with the companies to to submit their logs to us regularly to review, and not only that, we look for wash tickets, because that's a whole other side of this industry is where the companies wash out. Every trailer gets washed out, generally between haulings, between the carrying things. Um, and believe it or not, during the wash process, they actually might become traced as well. So that's another thing we look at. Um, so basically, we're looking from all angles. We, have, we visit the office. We work, we work with the company to get, to get the access to their company information and their internal logs so it's we 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 strongly strongly monitor their activity to make sure that it's what is kosher and remains kosher throughout the entire process all
0: right thank you very much for the very uh, interesting discussion we've had here uh i i think that uh, i've learned a lot tonight i don't know what other people say, but I think I learned a lot tonight from you, and uh, I'm always uh, appreciative of the uh, the work of the CRC, the Chicago Medical Council. People want to go to their website, crcweb.org, or if they want to ask questions, in the uh, they have an app, or you can go to askcrc.org. Is that correct? Yes. And mm-hmm. you can type in any word, and you'll see what is on the website. What's the latest findings that the CRC has about that? I just want to mention another point, and uh, uh, that uh, I think is very important is that the CRC has a re- list of recommended hashgachos. They don't call it recommended hashgachos; they just have a listing of uh, of uh, symbols and Kashrus agencies. But those are th- what the CRC considers recommended hashgachos, and a lot of work goes into. Watching that, monitoring it, and it's something that many of my people have, have sent them there for information. Um, we hope to be able to get Rabbi Fishbay next week. But I don't know if he's going to come on. I thank you very much for <laughs> joining us. And until next week, I wish all of my listeners a wonderful week. This is Cautious on the Air, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kasher's Magazine, signing off.